And the introduction that I'm going to start with is uh, what is known as the Great Commission in Matthew 28. All power, this is the words of Jesus to his disciples, and these are his final words. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So this is a big commandment, a big commission. Um, evangelism is the first part of this commission, is going, therefore, and uh, into all the world and teaching um, all nations, this initial aspect of it. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on um, today, this morning, in our form. Do we recognize, really, that as a, as a central commandment, if this is the primary task of the church, um, let's look at it through a particular lens this morning, and that every gift that's given in the church, every ministry that takes place in the church, centers and revolves around this primary task. Sometimes it's easy for us to um, become so involved in our ministry or in our area of service in the church that we kind of see it as an end in itself rather than as supporting a, a greater function the central mission of the Lord Jesus to spread the gospel, to make disciples. And so this morning, let's look at it through that lens of every gift, every ministry in the church. So that's preaching, teaching, counseling, visiting people, encouraging people, fellowship, ministry to the children, um, to youth, to adults, to parents, to retirees, every ministry centering around this primary task of making and growing disciples. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. I want to read that to you. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. And so again, this form is, the, the focus of course is we're not trying to persuade people into doing something that they're not uh, gifted to do, but to stir up whatever gift God has given you and focus it to revolve around this primary task of the church. And right in the next verse, notice what he says, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so part of the camp, as far as the camp theme, we're talking about fear and love. And so in this form, we'll also be addressing some fears that prohibit or inhibit God's work uh, in this area. God has not given us a spirit of fear. This can also be translated in this aspect of being timid and being shy in exercising our gift. And so this is not an area where our gift needs to be shy, um, but we need to be uh, confident. Brother Scott spoke about confidence last night. Confident in our gift uh, in this morning in sharing the gospel and how the Lord um, has gifted us, uh, gifted you uh, to move forward in that. So there's a number of specific areas that I'm going to move through uh, in doing this. And the first one is just in our personal life. Whatever opportunities that the Lord has given you, the people that you meet, some of them every day, some of them occasionally, some of them old friends, um, and that you, again, view your mission on this earth to minister the gospel to them, being purposeful about it, not just 
haphazard and if it happens to happen, okay, then I'm willing to be used. But think of it in more active terms. So one of the brothers that I interviewed, um, that I see him as gifted in being able to do that, he's unfortunately not here at camp, but uh, he wrote down some things about his experience that I'm going to read um, soon in, in doing this. But uh, before we do that, um, let's pause for a moment of prayer. Lord Jesus, we are gathered together here to learn and to be inspired and to be motivated to serve you and to fulfill the commission that you gave to your 12 disciples. And they, in turn, passed it on to others. And it's passed on to us. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you awaken in us and stir up the gift of God that you have given us and that we might share what you are doing in our lives and that the things that are taught this morning and shared and the things that your Holy Spirit will stir us can motivate us unto love and good works. Be present among us in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to share some things from uh, this brother. And uh, it's amazing how the Lord works. This brother uh, is a first-generation believer, um, and he was brought to church with a very, uh, by a brother that's very evangelistically-minded, uh, and invested a lot of time in this young man's life um, at that time, a number of years, quite a few years ago. So I'm reading this brother's testimony, first-generation believer. Ever since my conversion, I always understood that sharing the gospel was the underlying reason for my existence. The fact that I was able to see the light by God's grace compelled me to believe that others regardless of their situation, could also come to the point where they too would see the light. This meant that I positively believed God would bring people into my life, providing me with an opportunity to share the truth with them. It just started during my conversion period where I could not hide what God was doing in my life. It started obviously with my immediate family, then to my former girlfriend and her parents, my close friends, and from there it spread to whomever and wherever. I even shared my faith with friends of relatives, I remember distinctly, going to share the truth with a Spanish family that came to visit uh, my father. I only met them once, and I didn't know exactly where they lived, but I felt very convicted to go and speak to them. So one day I got on a bus, followed the leading of the Spirit, got off at a certain stop, asked around the neighborhood if someone knew this family, and I eventually found them. I just introduced myself at the door, invited myself in, and went straight to the facts, telling them I came to tell the truth. There was no fear, because I was literally driven by my desire to share the truth. I believed in God so much, because he had become so real to me that fear never came into the picture. Of course, in hindsight, I, at that time, I had no reputation to lose, and there were no perceived consequences for sharing the gospel. Today, however, I can be tempted to believe that sharing the gospel could jeopardize my career. Actually, it already has, but I believe that's precisely God's will. It's very exhilarating, he writes, to know that you've been used by God to speak to someone and that God has orchestrated someone to come into your life for that purpose. Uh, many have come to know the Lord, some of them in our church, some of them in other churches. Um, so here's an example of one. My English teacher was Jewish, 
and took serious offense to an essay in which I described in detail my conversion experience and the need for everyone to repent from sin. The teacher was so annoyed with my essay that she asked me to stay behind after class to discuss and ultimately to reprimand me. A fellow student sitting behind me uh, asked me and wanted to know what was so bad that I had written that would have caused such a reaction. So I said, read for yourself. And I gave her my essay, and she did, and she started coming to church. And in time, she repented and was baptized. Another example, a Chinese student, whom we both shared the same supervisor uh, in university, who became ill, as in the supervisor, became ill and later diagnosed with terminal cancer. His subsequent death had such an impact on her. One late afternoon, while working at the lab at the university, she and I began to talk about our supervisor's death. She couldn't understand why it happened, why such a man like him had to die, and she began to cry. This gave me a great opportunity to share the love of God with her. That conversation was amazing. It was as if God had waited for the right moment. She eventually began to attend our church, but English was a a challenge and a problem for her, and her husband was not happy about her church attendance. She eventually came upon some Chinese Christians with whom she could communicate, and she later became baptized in their church, and after several years, her husband also uh, became baptized. I also asked this brother about times of discouragement in practicing this gift, and he writes, I can't recall ever feeling directly discouraged uh, once where he was Uh, sharing about the beauty of marriage with someone at work who was living together with a young man and who did not see the necessity for marriage. And so she said she would never marry. She took such an offense to my viewpoint on marriage that uh, soon after that she reported me to human resources and filed a grievance against me for harassment. Um, Of course, this was very surprising to uh, me, but senior management knew me very well in my Christian views and simply reminded me to keep to business during working hours. I spoke again with her afterwards, more so to clarify what I had said and to understand her charges. She denied that she had felt harassed, and a year later, she got married, took on her husband's last name, and sometime after that became a mother, which she shared with me to be the most beautiful time of her life. She was very friendly to me afterwards. Having someone lay a charge of harassment could have serious consequences to one's career. And at that time, I was somewhat confused and unsure of whether I had done the right thing. That was a low point for me, one in which God wanted me to experience in order to teach me that the truth will not always be well received, even if spoken casually to a co-worker whom you trust. So caution is in order at times. And so I was more careful after the above experience, perhaps more reluctant to share my convictions about what is right or wrong. But with time, I knew that I had to continue to share my faith. So this is a sampling of the experiences that this brother has had, and I want to believe that this is happening you know, lots of times over with you in this room and with people in our fellowship, and these are you know, untold stories. But the whole point is really to inspire us unto love and good works and to be more purposeful uh, in, this, in this area. The next uh, area that uh, I want to speak about is evangelism as a local church. Um, And so this is um, a little bit different about in our personal lives. This is about the local church functioning together in an active role for the purpose of 
uh, spreading the gospel in their neighborhood or per- particular, perhaps to a particular target group um, uh, nearby. And so a couple of points from the scriptures um, that I want to uh, point out in regards to that is, first of all, we typically see church when we get together, and when I say church, I mean the place in which we get together right now, the place where the believers in the church, the church is people, but where we get together, we, we typically think of it as a gathering place. We come together to go to church, and we gather But the scripture also speaks about the church as in the body of Christ being a sending place to send people into the world to reach the people that aren't gathering with us at church. And so I want us to focus our our attention for a few minutes on some scriptures that teach this idea and let's sort of reinforce that in our minds and raise that as um, as a mission uh, in our own minds. And one of those is in uh, Romans chapter 10. Uh, verses 14 and 15. How, sh- how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? There's this active sending um, focus that is taught here. Um, Of course, we have the example in Acts chapter 13 that took place in the church at Antioch. There were certain prophets and teachers, and as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. A very specific sending ministry here to two particular people that were called by the Holy Spirit. And the church functioned together, and the leadership in the church functioned together to um, participate and and activate this, what the Holy Spirit was doing. Can everyone still hear me? It sounds like the speakers kind of went down or something. Did Did we lose something? Maybe turn it up a little bit more? No? Okay. Um... Next, we're going to look at the aspect of evangelists. There are a few places in the scripture, I'll just speak a little bit louder. A few places in the scripture this is used. Um, and the, the first place, I believe, is in Acts chapter, um, maybe not the first place that it's used, but Philip is known as an evangelist. Uh, in, in Acts, it describes him as an evangelist. And so we we see that here in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. So here's another aspect of maybe some subtle sending by reason of circumstances um, where persecution caused people to be scattered. Um, They're in survival mode when they're scattered, but this did not at all stop them from spreading the word. In fact, it enabled the word to be spread more. So let's be thinking about this in our own personal lives. Circumstances, sometimes the Lord is using that to spread the word. So there will be some. In uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we read um, among the the gifts in the church and some evangelists. And uh, so we will recognize that there are some in our congregations that have this particular spiritual gift. Um, being called as an evangelist. 
And so a question that I'm just going to pose to you, and perhaps we can discuss it at some time during our, our open uh, discussion, which will happen in a few minutes yet, is how to do that in our fellowship in a more maybe proactive way and to uh, give support to those that are called as uh, to be evangelists and, and to be more active uh, in that area. Okay, I think at this time I'm going to call upon Brother Jeff Dudlitz, uh, if you can come on up. So I've uh, connected with uh, some brothers in the Beverly Hills Church. There was a time when they were very active in uh, a particular outreach ministry in their church, and I've asked Brother Jeff uh, to speak about that. So I guess you're going to have to hold this so that it's facing you. Okay. Four minutes. Uh, Jimmy Hatches and I went down to Argentina for business with for Foundation and Hilfa. Uh, met elder brother Louis Vogel from Buenos Aires. He started seven churches in a ghetto. Okay, clicks. We have ghettos in Detroit, and I don't have to learn Spanish. We can do something here. Uh, with, the, <laughs> with the support of our ministry and church, um, me and a couple other brothers said, let's try to do this. And I go out, and we have some really bad trailer parks. Um, no one taught us how to do this. Uh, we role-played. Uh, I sat in a chair. Brother Gary would come up, not, he'd, like knock on a door, and what are you going to say? Okay, Apostolic Christian Church, Nazarene, nah, we're not doing that. So we got it down to, uh, we're from a Bible-believing church. Okay. Our church is praying for the area. Do you have any prayer requests? Done. Okay. We wrote it down. A week two later, we went back and asked how things are going. You have to pray. <laughs> you said you're going to pray. You got to get the church to pray. Uh, then we said, do you go to church? Do you, would you like to go to church? Would you like to get picked up? Okay. We did this for three years until the city tore down the, the uh, trailer park because it was really bad. I'm done. <laughs> That's Maybe, it. A couple of questions that I okay. can ask you. Um, so you, you, it sounded like you invested like a lot of personal, personal time in this, you and some other brothers um, that did this. Um, tell a little bit of us about the dynamics of what happened when these people started coming to church and how your congregation responded and how your church, uh, what you learned and how your church grew from this experience. You should talk to the people from my church that are here. <laughs> Well, you're representing them, brother. <laughs> uh, this is what I saw happening. Turn it this way. Uh, the, the sisters no longer leave their purses in the bathroom or on the fridge. <laughs> we did put a lock on the, uh, the collection box. Uh, the people that you bring in are different. Uh, the ministers told them what page in the Bible the scripture they were reading at was. And it was kind of, it was okay. There was... There's conflict, but I don't think ever, anybody asked Paul and Barnabas, you know, what the effect was. <laughs> you just do it, and, and, this, and uh, they hear the word of God. You might have some uh, questions later on from the group, perhaps. Um, but, uh, yeah, you can, you're welcome to take a seat right now. Um, next, I want to call on uh, Brother Andy uh, Bojanak. Um, and uh, he's going to describe a little bit about what his church um, did in regards, uh, in regards to this. So. Go ahead, Brother Andy. Okay. I gotta hold it so that that is facing sure. you. 
just want to share a few things on behalf of uh, our congregation, Vista. Not that I've been involved in, in every aspect of it, but uh, definitely supporting it. So um, in the past, our congregation, I would say reaching out, uh, sharing the gospel to lost outside our walls, uh, we've not had a whole lot of um, group or church efforts in that matter in, in years in the past. And, and we, I would say, is more have done so on an individual basis, uh, with the exception of our youth group has for a very long time supported a homeless shelter called Solutions of Change and helped serving meals. And what that does is uh, it helped build relationship with the people there, and they also would sing for them, uh, spend time with them. So that was definitely a benefit because they were definitely interested. Um, we as the ministers and elders of our church, we, we had several meetings of um, realizing and having the burden to share the gospel and um, perhaps feeling the burden that we're not doing enough. So with that, as a result, we also had meetings with our congregations of those that were willing to attend. And we emphasized the import, importance of sharing the gospel. And the focus really is not to re-engineer the church, but the focus was to share the gospel to those that are lost. By that, we, we came and brainstormed uh, several ideas, and we've actually, some of them come to fruition, and we've done some, and this, these meetings were held back in 2010, so it's been a few years. Um, one area we were uh, discussing was how to expand our efforts at the homeless shelter, the youth group has established that relationship at, so perhaps not just uh, serving meals, but doing a little bit more like the, like the singing, maybe more of sharing the gospel, uh, maybe on a counseling basis as well. We also uh, had, um, we've done some singings in public. So we decided it would be good that, you know, we have voices and, and we, we have some talented voices and we want to praise the Lord and we've actually done that in public. We've done it in peers uh, where the public is there. We've done it in parks. So uh, definitely gained some interest there. Our church website, we created a church website, and now just as of recently, we have the sermons on there. So maybe we've been behind a few years from other churches, but now at least we have those, our, our sermons on the website. Uh, this year is our first year that we're going to be doing Vacation Bible School. So I know that many other churches have been doing it for many years in the past, but this will be our first year doing that. So uh, we're hoping to get our, our coworkers, families, friends to be able to participate in that. Also, we had a reunion where we invited those perhaps family members who do not currently attend church but have in the past or have some kind of connection uh, to the brothers and sisters, where we had a special service for them, uh, that we invited them and made them feel welcome. So we did that. Uh, We've had an orchestra in our church to where it was so full that we were actually going to have to rent a hall this year. So the orchestra was uh, lots attended, uh, family, friends, uh, co-workers, and brothers and sisters from many, many different churches. Also, we had an open house. I mean, it was many years ago that we had our church dedication, and we figured that it would be good that for the neighborhood to know that we're here and that they're invited. So there was much efforts involved in uh, handing out flyers to the neighborhood, hundreds and hundreds of flyers, uh, many, many hours of labor to invite those in the neighborhood to an open house for our church. We learned a lot from that experience. Uh, we handed out hundreds of flyers. Uh, we had one attend. And that one was a co-worker of a brother. So I was actually really encouraged. I was encouraged because at that open house, I can't remember the percentage, but it was like over 85% of our church attended that open house. So that, to me, that was encouraging because our church supported 
sharing the gospel to a loss. And I was really, really encouraged. And we learned that success is not by numbers. Success is not by numbers. We actually um, need to measure our success by our willingness to share the gospel to the lost. And that's pretty much it. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much, brother. Okay, at this time we have a few minutes to, for some sharing from the floor. And so this is where those of you who have mics and are fast on your feet uh, take note. Um, and so the, the point of this is to inspire and to connect. So um, if you have an experience um, or something of, along that nature that you think will inspire others, um, something like that, and also are willing then, of course, to provide some sort of connection. If someone else wants to develop something like that, you can speak with the people that have already shared. Um, and so that's sort of some of the point of this. And then at the end, of, we'll do a little bit of sharing, and we're also going to take um, a few minutes um, to pray. Because this forum, I believe, is not only about just exchanging ideas, but it's also about changing our hearts. And the way our hearts get changed is by talking to the Lord and opening up ourselves to the Lord. And um, so I'm going to ask, I'm just going to, don't be surprised, Brother Frank, I think I'm going to call on you to um, have a prayer after our sharing time is done, so if the mic could make his way over to there. Um, So uh, hand up someone that uh, has something to share that um, can provide edification for us. Okay, Brother Fred, if you can. turn it on. Is there someone else on this side? Is it on there too? Um, the button on top, there's a button on top that you hold to turn it on. Okay, good. Carry on. Test. Many years ago, I had the privilege of uh, visiting our missions, our foreign missions in Brazil and Argentina, and later in Africa. And I saw the form of evangelism that was very, very common was meeting in homes and just sharing the gospel with people that you would meet in the comfort of a living room. And the burden grew to the point where um, when Martha and I were married, uh, we felt a a call from God to invite uh, Japanese or other Chinese homestay students into our home. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were actually, the college was looking for families that would place students in a family setting and uh, would even pay for room and board for those students. And uh, then those students would be looking for a complete experience uh, with the family, not just be having their own room to do their own thing, but be at the table with you, go to church with you. I mean, that's not part of the mandate of the college, but you're welcome to do anything that you do in your culture with them. And we found uh, several of these students were so hungry to learn about God. And we had small group Bible discussions in, in our home at that time over a number of about four years. The burden continued that small groups is one of the key ways that Jesus taught in evangelism. And our church has been growing in this burden. Many have felt a calling. Recently, we put together a three-fold brochure on small groups. Um, anyone's welcome to see me about this. It's up on our bulletin board area in a dispenser. And the idea is that as we invite neighbors and friends and one another as well to grow together in small group settings, you can open up more with each other. Uh, the Lord just works in, in wonderful ways in evangelism and discipleship when we would make time out of our busy week, set aside one evening a week, small group setting, 
and talk about the gospel and talk about spiritual things with one another and with the lost. And I just want to encourage us as a denomination to really see this as one of the things that Jesus taught, small group ministry and discipleship in that practical way. God has been blessing that. Thank you. Okay, someone else? Yes, back there. Keep your hand up so you can see where you're going. Someone else on this side, then we can pass the mic to whoever's next, maybe. Okay, Brother Jeff. Very, very similarly to what Brother Fred said, uh, that it's effective to work in small groups. It's very effective to have one-on-one witnessing. And um, I... uh, cannot share all of the experiences that I have made, but uh, can just say that uh, we have to be consistent, we have to be uh, uh, committed to a long-term relationships when we start working with uh, some people. Uh, I can uh, say, let's say, uh, in Croatia, we've been going now seven years. God is doing wonderful things there, but it takes a lot of emailing in between uh, visits once a year. It takes a lot of calls, um, a lot of prayers, daily prayers. We cannot give up praying for these people. And uh, when you almost are ready to give up, God shows you, no, don't give up because I am committed to these people. So basically, don't give up, pray a lot, and establish one-on-one relationships and you know, it will work. Good, thank you. You can pass the mic over to Brother Frank, but we're going to take Brother Jeff next, and then uh, Brother Frank will have a prayer. One more thing. Is it, is it on? Yep. Okay. Uh, all I was doing was capping people, because I seen uh, Brother Lewis Vogel do it, and then uh, Tim Huber had another thing I thought we could do in Detroit, too. Um, he teaches conversational English in, in Japan, and then he does that for a half hour, charges them some money, and gives them a quality thing. And then he gives them like a half hour free after if you'd like to do additional on uh, teachings out of the uh, Bible. And I thought that would be something because we have a lot of people that can't speak English and might be interested. In, that's another opening. Good. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, let's bow just for a few minutes. Testing. Oh, Heavenly Father, we have uh, heard, Lord, thy ministry. And sometimes, Lord, we think that we are exempt, that we look to ministers and elders to teach and preach the gospel. But, oh, Heavenly Father, we have been reminded in this day that the ministry of thy gospel lies with each one of us. And as the Apostle Paul talked about the grace given unto him to teach and to preach, so are we reminded that it is our personal responsibility, O Heavenly Father, to teach and preach to those around us, that we, O Heavenly Father, might be ministers of thee. For thou hast ordained us to be ministers, and, O Heavenly Father, to further thy gospel. And, O Lord, we desire to have more come into thy kingdom and to be fellow servants of thy kingdom, O Heavenly Father. So might we have the heart and mind, first and foremost, to look to ourselves and ask, O Heavenly Father, what is it that thou would want me to do for thee in thy kingdom? 
and that we would initiate, O oh Lord, an action, whatever, however small it might be, to serve thee and to speak out. O oh, Heavenly Father, for by saying nothing are we ashamed of thee, are we ashamed of the gospel in saying nothing? And that is the question, O oh, Heavenly Father, that we need to ask ourselves that, O oh, Heavenly Father, that we might, that we must, as thou commanded us, reach out to others and to all nations. That, O oh, Heavenly Father, they would hear and understand, O oh, Heavenly Father, and come to thee. So, again, we have been reminded in this day that thou art our Lord and our Savior and that our purpose for being, our whole purpose for being, is to praise and glorify the name of Jesus Christ to all that we meet along the way, and that our journey is not complete, is not complete until such time as we have spoken and reached out to those to encourage them to come and to follow thee, O Heavenly Father. And so we ask thee, we ask thee for thy grace and thy goodness. And we ask thee, O Heavenly Father, to encourage us, as we have been encouraged this day, of others. And we could stand and give many testimonies of others who have reached out to those around them and lifted them up unto thee. And some have come and have found in thee a Savior. And so we're thankful, Heavenly Father, that thou dost raise us up Help us not to become complacent, to become lax, and to be satisfied with what we have, but that we would initiate, O Heavenly Father, this great commission that thou hast asked us to do and to reach out unto others. And, and Lord, we thank thee for the words we have heard today and the encouragement that we have had. And we know, O Heavenly Father, thy word will be preached. It will be preached either by us or by others. Might we choose it to be us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we've, got, uh, so we've covered two topics so far. This is about in our personal uh, walk of life, as well as uh, evangelism as a local church. We've got two more to talk about. And uh, so next we've got uh, local ministries that extend beyond uh, the, the local church itself, and, as well as uh, foreign missions. So to begin with that, I'm going to call Brother Mike Nechikov. Uh, to share a few things about the Kitchener Lighthouse. Um, and so, uh, Brother Mike, along with some others, have been instrumental in starting another branch of this uh, lighthouse ministry that first started in Cambridge and continues there, um, and in uh, more recent years uh, started also in, in Kitchener. So go ahead, Brother Mike, and maybe just describe briefly what, what you do there and what takes place. Sure. Uh, it's been about two years since we've been uh, actively participating in the Kitchener Lighthouse. It's a uh, happens on a Friday evening, around 6, 6.30 to 8, and it's for school-aged children. What these children are, they come from uh, homes that are broken. Um, a lot of the homes are children that only have one parent, or they may have a, a parent and then uh, a stepfather or a stepmother, um, or they may have multiple children from different parents, um, spouses that are, you know, living in their home with them. Um, Salon and I both thought that this was a great way for our family to be active and also to allow our children to know how privileged we are being brought up in a faith and a church and, a, and having 
parents that love the Lord. So when we started doing this, we really didn't realize what an impact this would have in our own personal lives and in our children's lives. First, uh, you know, as teenagers, they all are like, oh, it's a Friday. I want to hang out with my friends. I've got a lot of things i got to do. But when they started to uh, get active in it, they actually are looking forward to Fridays uh, to go to Lighthouse um, and be able to help out in the ministry there. We have um, different programs that are done. We have, um, they're all targeted to different age groups. Um, so we have uh, devotional times that are, you know, short. That's about 10, 15 minutes where the children would have a focused time where a, a certain story is shared. And um, they're interactive. Questions are asked. And these are run by certain brothers and sisters that also volunteer from our church. And then we have an active time where, where we have activities in the gym where the children can burn off a little bit of energy. We have um, um, indoor soccer. We have field hockey, or sorry, hockey, like ball hockey. So it's, it's very active for the children. Then we also have just uh, a time where they can do crafts for some of the girls that like to do the crafts and that. And how this has impacted our lives is that it's shown us how, how the love of Jesus can be shared in small little areas in each of these children's lives where they can see that Jesus loves them and really cares for them and he really has an interest in their lives. And I've seen that in our children and some of the experiences that they shared is that they are really thrilled when, when the young ones or even the middle-aged uh, school-aged children would come up to them and ask them questions about Jesus and um, what what Jesus really means and what the Bible is. And when they're sharing a story, they sometimes will come up to them afterwards and ask them particulars about the story uh, that they shared. Um, myself, personally, my active involvement there is I'm basically a hall monitor, but I'm also there to greet the children as they come in and also greet the parents. I've had some experience of speaking with the parents, um, getting to know them a little bit better, sharing, uh, you know, asking them how their week has been. Um, they're very grateful for the program that we run. They're very thankful for the time that their children have. Um, you know, it could be a little bit chaotic at times. The kids are very active. But we do have a lot of volunteers that will keep things under control and um, always reminding the kids that, you know, they got to be courteous to each other and kind. And uh, it's just one of those things that I didn't really realize how blessed we are and I'm just really thrilled that our children are being able to experience that and being able to see and, and fulfilling the commandment that, you know, we are there to show God's love to everyone and even these little ones. And I don't know if you have any questions for me. I think that's good. Thank you very much, brother, for sharing that. Um, some of them, I don't know so much from the Kitchener Lighthouse. Are, are some coming to church or Sunday school from the Kitchener Lighthouse? Some. And I know some from the, the, the Cambridge one as well. So if you have any further questions about that kind of thing, you can certainly see uh, uh, Mike and Svetlana. Also, uh, uh, Terry uh, and John Ardalian are involved uh, with that um, as well. Uh, next, um, I want to call up on my wife to share uh, a testimony and experience that a sister in our church has started recently um, in a local prison, a prison ministry for women. Okay, um, this is a sister that Dan said we maybe won't say names, but a lot of you will know who I'm talking about, and uh, if you're interested, you can ask me about her afterwards. If you don't know who it is and you, you want contact with her, she was more than willing to do that. 
about five years ago, uh, she entered into, began to enter into the empty nest years. And up until that time, her family had been very, very busy in reaching out to the community as a family. And she loved doing that. And now that was ending. And she was really seeking the Lord, saying, what is it you want me to do now? And she had a lot of quiet times with the Lord. Share with him the reasons for her desire. And he said, okay, well, you talk to our elder. And if he supports you, I'll let you go with it. We'll try it out. Because initially it was, she was only being asked to go in to share her testimony initially and bring in some devotional books to pass out. So she got full support from our elder and his wife and had the opportunity to go. That first meeting there was just overwhelming for her. The women listened so intently as she shared about her own struggles in her youth with eating disorders and such things, the guilt and shame she felt, and then about the victory that she was able to have over that through the Lord Jesus and how he loved each of them. And each one of them approached her afterwards to thank her and um, share how they could relate. The chaplain on the way out told the sister, I have never, ever seen them respond like that before and become so vulnerable. And that just really inspired Lydia. She felt that this was the Lord's hand on it. She knew it was not her own doing. This did open up areas of opportunity for her then. One area is that uh, with the financial help of our local congregation in Kitchener, we support uh, reading materials there, uh, Christian material for them to use in a library they have there, and also that each one gets a book on release. Uh, the other area is uh, being an active volunteer there. And there's two programs. She's in a mentoring program where she can go one-on-one, uh, set up appointments with these ladies and share with them uh, or let them share with her what the needs are. Um, they have many, many burdens, and they are afraid to share with anybody else. If they share something with an authority, it could be incriminating. When they share with her, it is not held against them. Um, and she prays with them and spends time with them. Uh, the other area is she goes in one night a week and spends time with them on a group basis as well, and that builds relationships f- to help reintegrate them back into society upon their release. Um, the church has been able to help as well uh, in helping to furnish some of these people's apartments when they come out, those that are in our local area. One young lady was totally overwhelmed and just wept when uh, the sister shared with her that um, your whole apartment is furnished upon your release by our local church. Um, and that was really special for our church to know we had done that. Uh, she stays in contact with people afterwards as well when they're released, and some have shared that her contact with them has helped them not to reoffend, because she's constantly praying for them and assuring them of God's love. Um, I'm going to share just a couple of her experiences um, specifically. One was one of her most joyful memories, she says, is a woman that had given her life to the Lord while she was in prison. She was from the Caribbean, had just finished a term of just over two years because of drug trafficking, had been separated from her, I believe, four children who were still back in the Caribbean. She would be returning. She was so excited to return home, had already been in contact with uh, her previous church there, I guess, and they had made arrangements for her baptism when she arrived back there and was very excited to share with her children, her extended family, and her village all about the Lord. And 
Uh, she said their goodbyes to each other on that last time they saw each other were, I may not see you on this earth again, but I will see you in heaven. Um, another experience was around Christmas time. She did a little special service for them uh, where she shared with them the true meanings of the Christmas story and the hope that it gives. And she sat afterwards for refreshments with a particular uh, woman that said, you have given me hope tonight. I had, was planning on going back to my cell and hanging myself tonight but I'm not going to do that now. And that also really inspired her and encouraged her. We asked her about the fear involved. and Yes, obviously, she said there are times where she's felt somewhat uncomfortable, but there are precautions taken for her. Um, but at the same time, she said, you know, even though some of these women that I'm with have committed murder, uh, drug trafficking, assault, all kinds of things, but yet I pray for the Lord's protection every time I enter that prison, and I'm careful to abide by the rules of the prison, she said. But yet the feelings of fear are extremely few, and for the most part, most of the women show extreme respect and appreciation for me, she says. The Lord has called me to love these women as he loves them. And because I love these women, I have no fear to share the wonderful message of Jesus' love to them. Final comment. I used to think that prison was such a terrible place, and I felt so badly for the women. But the Lord has shown me that it is a good place. It is a place of healing. For a time, these women are taken out of their abusive situations from their lives of crime and from their godless surroundings, and they are given an opportunity to stop and think about their lives and able to hear about the gospel. Thank you. Okay, Sister Rose, you want to come up? Is this mic? It's, it's out of... Okay, so we'll continue on with this. Um, so next, we're going to move on to foreign missions. And so I've asked Sister Lily to share... Um, she, and this is from a, a mother's perspective of raising children to have a vision um, that extends just beyond um, the local church and beyond even uh, the country in which uh, they grew up in. So. Uh, my name is Lily Surance, and uh, we have three children who have spent significant time on the mission field. Our oldest daughter um, is full-time at CLM now um, for the past five years or so. And then our next daughter spent three years in Paraguay and in um, three different trips, actually, two six months since and one two-year stint. And then our son also spent several... He's living in Paraguay, but he's not currently doing mission work, but he did for several years. So when I was asked to do this forum, I was like, I have no idea what I would say. Uh, one thing I did um, think of was that we did homeschool our children for the first few years of school, and I feel like that was the most significant influence we had on their lives. Um, as, as Christian homeschoolers, the basis of Christian homeschooling is basically what the beginning verses that Scott read last night from Genesis 6, um, 4 to 9, where it talks about loving Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and it says, then shalt thou... Uh, Teach them diligently unto thy children, and talk about them when thou sittest in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou, when thou risest up. And um, as a homeschooling mom, uh, we learned that our, our, um, our focus was to raise our children to love God and to serve him. And sometimes I think our society is teaching us just that we want our kids to be good citizens and to be smart and to be well-educated, but that's really not 
what God has called us to. He's called us to raise our children to serve him. And um, that was what we tried to do. But So I emailed my three children, and I said, um, tell me what you think we did <laughs> to help you uh, want to serve cross-culturally. And um, they all replied, and I was amazed with what they said. So I'm going to share, basically read some of the things that they said. Um, our son said, you raised us to be cross-cultural. The homeschooling environment environment incarnated for us the value of being different, being intentional, boldly questioning the norms of society. The narratives of Grandpa and Opa's conscientious objection during World War II invited us into a story in which our Christian convictions and distinctly ACC and a Baptist heritage enabled us to step into culturally defiant roles. We never believed in the American dream or not entirely. And my daughter said the same thing, that she had to take a course in cross-cultural studies, and she realized how much she was not like a typical American. We, um, it's a benefit that we're from a church where there are many people with different languages and stuff. That's helpful to our children to see other cultures, and um, that, you know, we're not, just the way we live is not the way the rest of the world lives. Um, the second thing is um, our daughter, well, our son mentioned this too, that we modeled service. I, I think our children have done every single job in the church that you could possibly do because we are from a very tiny church, and we, so we have to do everything. We set up and tear down. We stripe, paint the stripes on the parking lot. I mean, we have done every job possible, and they learn service through, through that. And Amy, our second daughter, said when she uh, was thinking about going overseas, she realized that she wanted to go, the service, quote, I'm quoting her here, the service wasn't necessarily spiritual, not teaching, witnessing, etc., but often involved behind-the-scenes tests that taught us that there's a lot that, that needs to be done even if nobody ever knows about it. I remember before I went to Paraguay um, being willing to go to serve, but realizing I was willing to do stuff and not specifically praying that God and specifically praying that God would give me a love for the Paraguayan people. He did, but I think it was still important that I understood there's a lot of basic tasks that need to be done on the mission field too. Uh, So she was willing to go and serve, and then God gave her a love for the people. And um, most most significantly, both of our daughters mentioned my willingness to allow them to go. Um, Amy wrote, uh, you You didn't prohibit us. All three times I had to tell you I wanted to go to Paraguay, I really struggled because I knew it would be difficult for you to hear. I always knew there might be a little bit of pushback, but only temporarily, as you helped me discern if I had come to that decision well. Only after my trips did I hear um, stories from many friends who had expressed an interest in foreign mission trips, but their parents had immediately squashed the idea. In some cases, maybe that was parental wisdom because they knew their children well enough. I think in the majority of cases, I heard that those parents were mainly fearful of the potential dangers or separation associated with such a trip. So I think a significant element in three of your children serving overseas at some point was largely due to the fact that you trusted God enough to let us go and cared more about him shaping our lives than about you maintaining control over our decisions. And um, 
after I read that, and I, I was thinking, I remembered an experience when we were first married, um, a very good friend of ours and her husband um, wanted to go on the mission field and had planned on doing it, but one of their parents totally squashed the idea. And they were married already, but they decided to, um, to abide by that parent's decision. And I remember being appalled and thinking, I don't want to stand before God and have him say to me, I wanted your kid to go on the mission field and you didn't allow them to go. And I made a vow that day that I would not do that. And um, it has been very difficult to allow my children to go, but it has also been one of the greatest blessings in my life. Um, One of my favorite verses is 3 John 4, where it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. And to see your children doing what God has called them to is just an incredible blessing, to see them using their gifts and talents. It's wonderful. Um, One more quote from my daughter who's currently at CLM. She said, and of course, seeing mom's heart willing to be obedient to the Lord and let her children go wherever God called allowed me to go in peace, knowing she had dedicated me to his service and thus, like Hannah, was releasing me to do as he asked. So Our job as parents is to let our children go, to allow them to do what God has called them to do. And even those of you who aren't parents, you can encourage other young people. You don't, you can, um, well, first, as parents, we can bless our children. We can help support them financially. We can dream with them. We can pray with them. Um, Let them take a short-term trip. See what it feels like. Um, Let them get their feet wet. It's, It's great. And then there's a lot of other Um, people wanting to go, provide for them financially, help them, encourage them, pray for them. Uh, Last night, Scott told us, take risks for the kingdom. That's what our kids want to do. Let's not squash that idea. Let's help them do that. Thanks. Thank you very much for uh, sharing that. Um, There's a uh, verse that I want to share along the lines with that. Jesus, the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. So let's think of that teaching, those truths that Jesus is saying, in the context of what Lily just shared, that as parents, uh, those of us that are parents here, and those of you that will be parents here, in the sense of letting our children go where God calls them to go, um, but there's another level that I want to uh, promote to that. Uh, is there's a difference between letting our children go. We could let them go reluctantly. Um, also, we could let them go in a sense that we're sending them with God's blessing, sending them with our parental blessing. If we've walked through them, walked with them, helped them discern what God is calling them to, um, they look up to us. And the concept of a parental blessing in whatever our children are called to do has very powerful, far-reaching, positive uh, benefits, and I I submit that for your uh, consideration. Uh, Next, uh, we want to have a little bit of uh, an experience about short-term missions. Uh, So uh, my wife, Karina, can you come up, please, and talk about uh, our family's experience? There's been lots of short-term missions uh, happening, of course, here, so here's just a little snippet of of, 
uh, one family doing this, um, this sort of thing. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. to keep it right here. <laughs> um, okay. We, I don't want to make this sound like a plug, but like Lily said, we also had chosen to homeschool. The Lord led us to do that early on. And as part of that, also wanted to train our children uh, not to be caught up in the culture. And the Lord gave us a vision very early on when our children were very young that we'd like to go on a mission trip with them, not just send them when they are older, not that there's anything wrong with that, but we really felt the call to go as a family to lead by example and to experience it with them to help them discern what was good and, and you know, what maybe they need to learn to turn, you know, put blinders on or whatever the case might be. And so we looked for opportunities and prayed for that and sought to see, you know, what is old enough and what's too young and so forth. And as we considered this, we had spoken a little bit with uh, my brother-in-law, Gary, who had taken a trip to South America, and he really recommended to us GOTM, Green Olive Tree Ministries, the uh, Freeman family. Um, in more northeastern Brazil, uh, simply because they are bilingual with their family, and it makes it much easier for us going with children for them to be able to communicate. We took his advice, and the Lord opened up a wonderful relationship with that family for us. There were um, three trips in the last five years from our family to theirs. Our children are constantly begging to go again. Um, there are letters that are exchanged regularly every time that there's an opportunity to send letters back and forth, that happens. They stay in contact. Um, it's been a real encouragement for both of our families. Uh, we also have a, a good educational philosophy connection with them because they also homeschool their immediate family and use a lot of uh, homeschooling ideas in their mission school, and that worked well between us. Now, when we have gone there, we don't speak Portuguese. Uh, my children are currently learning out of their own desire, uh, no pushing from me, but that meant we didn't really directly evangelize, obviously, but we, according to them, have been a huge inspiration to them each time we come through fellowship, first of all. Our friendship and fellowship encourages them. Um, it gives them a connection with the local churches here in North America so that they feel more connected. Um, we also have helped with various projects and just backlog of things. You know, uh, when Oma came along with us, she took care of all the mending that had been backlogged for months that they just didn't have time for, things like that. There's a place for anybody to help with those behind-the-scenes tasks that were shared. Um, then there were some bigger t projects also. Beyond that, um, our children learned to help with a lot of chores. There's a lot of chores when you have a family of 24 and a ranch to run and a mission school. Taught my girls a little bit more about servanthood, taught them about respecting other cultures, taught them about respecting other families and their ways. Um, and they have learned those lessons well. It um, gave us an opportunity to help a little bit in evangelistic outreach they had last Christmas when we were there. Our girls were able to do special numbers along with their children to reach out to neighbors that they invited um, up in the mountains where they live. And that was a really neat experience. We also helped serve a meal then afterwards, and that was really interesting. And um, I think the last point I want to say is that our girls' friendship with their children has been a real inspiration to them. It has helped some of their children in moving forward towards serving the Lord themselves, because in their trips to North America and in our trips there, they realize there is a bigger picture. It's not just our little isolated family out down here. Um, there's a lot more out there, and they have caught the vision to help 
serve in the ministry as well with their parents. And their parents are really thankful for that, in addition to any support we give them financially. Are you going to do that? Or should I? Okay. This is a little plug. Um, my middle daughter, my girls, like I said, they have a real love for the family down there. My middle daughter has actually asked to do an instrumental CD. Uh, she's very musically inclined, and she initiated this, and we recorded her doing piano music and a little bit of um, other instruments. And she is selling that this week for the prime reason of raising funds for the family because they had an unexpected expense come up this past year placed on them by a judge. Um, and it was a little bit difficult for them. And so she wanted to raise some money to send to them. So um, this will be sold this week on the tables outside the dining room. Thank you. Uh, one of the points that I want to make, we're going to be wrapping up uh, shortly in just a couple of minutes, is uh, here's a resource uh, that I came across uh, recently, actually, in our interaction with the, mission, with the, the Freeman family, as well as um, our mission board in Canada, Apostolic Christian Church Mission Board of Canada. It's called When Helping Hurts, How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor and Yourself. Uh, very challenging book, speaking about ministering the gospel to poor people, and um, uh, they have a chapter on short-term missions as well. And there's a number of uh, pitfalls and, and warnings, cautions, and so forth um, to consider when considering a work team, you know, just a couple of weeks. And there's some unique pressures that happen uh, during the functioning of a work team that can cause cultures and peoples to collide, that sometimes um, some hurting gets happened along with the intentions to help. Um, and so there's, there's some just uh, great stuff in here. And I recommend this as a resource um, for really every believer to read and being able to fill, fulfill that to mandate um, of Christ. Unfortunately, I, I, I can't get into, I think, one of the points that I'd wanted to talk about. One of those was the, the concept of time. And, and this is where one area where cultures collide. And we in North America are on one extreme of how we view time. And they call this the monochronic view of time, where um, Time is viewed as a limited and valuable resource. Time can be lost or saved. And so good stewardship of time means getting the most out of every minute. We have words like time is money. Um, and the biblical injunction to redeem the time brings visions of to-do lists being completed day after day. A second perspective of time they call the polychronic view. In this understanding, time is somewhat an unlimited resource. There is always more time. Schedules and plans are mere guidelines which have little authority in shaping how one spends one's day. Tasks typically take a backseat to forming and deepening relationships. So you can see these are very different views of time, and I've experienced firsthand you know, going to Brazil um, on these extreme different ways of, view, of, of uh, viewing time. And you can just imagine um, some of the, the, the time pressures that are created with a short-term missions trip where we have Project X to complete in 14 days, and uh, you're jumping into a culture which has a different view of time and a different timeline of resources. That can cause unnecessary conflict and, and situations and so forth, and just sort of just an awareness of that, that the gospel is much bigger than our project that we need to complete now in 14 days. The gospel is about people. It's not about projects, although projects are important as well. But uh, you can read more about that um, in the book. So finally, as a conclusion, I just want to repeat the first word that Jesus said in the Great Commission. 
go. how God is orchestrating evangelism through the churches, through community projects, to outreach to people that do not know the gospel. What I found is that, and what I've learned in my life, is that um, it can happen in your personal life. It can be with just you. It doesn't have to necessarily happen in big projects. But God can use you because God equips you. Um, the saints are equipped to preach the word. And what I learned is um, a little story that happened last week. I went out to downtown Kitchener just to walk around, and I saw a, a homeless man. I wasn't sure if he was homeless or not, but I went, saw him sitting down, and he looked perplexed. So I went to him, and I thought, I'm going to talk to him. And God knew this was going to happen, and he had a purpose for this. So I said to him, hey, hey how are you? And he goes back to me, and he says, I've got $200 in my bank, and I get fed every day. What else would I want? And I, I, was, I smiled, and I went, what else do you need? I mean, you seem content, you're happy. Then all of a sudden, he, he came up with a question, and he said, what is hell like? And I went, why is he asking that question? Right then and there, God gave me an opportunity to talk about the Word of God, and I didn't know at that stage, and I thought, hell. I said, have you been on YouTube? Maybe just Google it and see what they have to say. Uh, the first thing I thought, the guy's like, what's YouTube? And then I thought, okay, that's not going to work, and I thought, No. I'll, I'll tell you something. I said, in the Bible, I said, the only thing I can think about is a story about the rich man, Lazarus, and about a story about a man that went to hell to experience what it's like to just have a drop of water, just to, just to make him cure him a little bit, just that little temporary relief. I said, I don't know what hell's like. I've never been there. But what I can tell you, it's not a place that you want to be. And I, I asked him, I said, why? Why are you asking this question? And so we started coming to a bit of discussion. And he said, some person told me that my father's gone to hell. And I said, well, I said, I'll tell you something. I said, only God knows. He said, God knows if your father has gone to heaven or hell. But I said, you know what? You're here today. And I said, you can be saved. And he said, how? I said, give your life to Christ. And I didn't realize, but God was speaking through me at that stage. And then all of a sudden, he, he, he stood up and he just left. And I didn't even finish talking to him. So I thought maybe he was looking for a computer. <laughs> Fifteen minutes later, I'm walking on the other side of the street, just about to go back to my car. And I saw him walk to either his friend or someone, and he says, do you know we can go to heaven if we believe in Jesus? And I thought then, and I thought, wow, like how a seed can be planted in someone's life and how God can water it, but from there, that opportunity can grow and how God can really instigate a situation and you can see the rewards out of it. And only through God you can see the blessings through this. And then it just started my mind saying, well, you know what? I could have gave money. I could have invited him to a church. But that didn't happen at that stage. I know that next time God will instigate something in your heart and never be afraid to share the word. And it's not always easy, but I can say that sometimes when you least expect it, God can pull up a situation and he can use you for that very purpose. So I just want to thank you. Amen.